When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind a beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. A very busy Kieran Maguire at Liverpool University this week, I imagine, because we've had some uh, some news hitting the fan this week, haven't we? <laughs> it's been... It's been non-stop. Yeah, we thought, oh, international week or you know the, the Premier League winter break, chance to put our feet up. Nothing will be happening. Well, that proved to be very wrong, didn't it? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of football going on during this Premier League winter break, isn't there? Yes, much of it, much of it in the Premier League. Um, one of my favourite Terry Pratchett novels, uh, Kieran, involves uh, a Shaolin-style monk who is able to take. Uh, time away from those people who have too much of it and not enough to do and farm it out to those people who have too much to do and not enough time to do it. <coughs> in, in his absence, <coughs> we've had to make um, a, a decision, a tactical decision on some of the new stories this week. Um, we're not going to get through all of them. So if you're a West Ham fan wondering about the price of beer at the London Stadium, I'm afraid you'll have to wait till Sunday before we cover that. And if you're a Watford fan wondering why the Spanish police want to bang your owner up for 12 years, I'm afraid that's also going to be <coughs> happening on, on, on Monday's pod as well. In fact, quite a few stories may well be handed over to Monday's pod. So let's start with the, 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 big, the big stories, Kieran. Um, and by way of a, a sorbet, shall we say, a little freshener about a big story that will be yet to come before we get into the big, big stories, um, Premier League... Chief Executive Richard Masters um, made a significant but um, also rather pointless announcement yesterday about the hearing for Manchester City. Yes, um, Richard Masters and Rick Parry were uh, being grilled, I think is the technical phrase, by some MPs as part of the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport um, investigation uh, into football because it it is a such an important natural sport. Um, I think it's fair to say that they don't appear to like each other. It, it, <laughs> I thought I was watching Kramer versus Kramer at times. <laughs> <laughs> it's very very frosty um, looks, and you've got to give a huge amount of credit to the um, to, to the member of the the Everton fan advisory group who was sat right behind Richard Masters in her Everton shirt. And she she makes Paddington Bear look like an amateur when it comes to <laughs> staring at somebody <laughs> to say, you are not in my good books. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was on Parliament TV. It was highly entertaining content. Um, I think it's fair to say that, that Richard Masters started off looking a little bit confident, a little bit smug, you know, a bit like somebody who's, 
who's just dropped an eggy one in the lift and is about to walk out. <laughs> and within five minutes, he he was looking like that person where the lift doors haven't opened and everybody's looking at him in daggers. So he was given a, a pretty hard time. He was given no support by, by Rick Barry because the Premier League and EFL clearly are at loggerheads. So he was trying on occasion to sort of give away little tidbits. He was asked at one stage, um, so, so what's happening? with regards to Manchester City, which which is a question which many people have asked because the charges were levelled at Manchester City in February 2023. We're 11 months into the occasion. He says, oh, yes, th- th- there is going to be a date, but I'm not going to tell it to you. Now, you can imagine this didn't go down well with members of parliament who are normally, you know, they're used to dealing with civil servants who will be giving briefings and be giving accurate briefings. Um, he says, oh, I can't, can't give any details away. You know, it, it might, might impact upon the, uh, it might impact upon the investigation into the, the committee that's going to be looking at this. Um, and, I mean, in his partial defence, you know, we've we've said from day one, uh, and this this is where I think the Premier League went wrong. It, it, it went, it was very much trying to trump it. We've got 115 charges because at the time it was it was very much lobbying uh, in Parliament and other places to to try to dilute and and defer, and if if not completely dismantle the idea of the fan led reviews recommendation of an independent regulator. So 115 charges. Yeah, we've we we've got our big boy trousers on. We're going to take Manchester City down. To which Manchester City said, of course, well, if you've got 115 charges you've got to give us the time to put up 115 defences. Um, and, you know, our, our good friend Nick DeMarco has said that he thinks it will take at least two years before um, the, the the hearing is, is likely to take place. So that didn't go down um, very well. Um, you know, Rick Parry was also sort of sticking his... Uh, his his two penneth in saying, "Oh, we need we need an eighteen club Premier League," which I, I don't think you know. Ourselves, let's be honest, ourselves as fans of Palace and Brighton, I don't see the benefit of having four fewer matches a season. As a, as a fan, um, he, he seemed to want a change in the, uh, the 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 distribution of money, which would come to that. He, uh, he, he what he was going again. We need to abolish parachute payments, but only from the Premier League to the EFL. Not don't abolish parachute payments in the EFL itself, and don't abolish the equivalent of parachute payments in UEFA. So it, it, it did seem to be a bit bit disorganised um, uh, in terms of some of the responses, um, and I think it's fair to say that the uh, the committee wasn't over impressed at the. Uh, the degree of progress which has been made between the two parties, and uh, I think it's fair to so say we'll we'll come up to we'll we'll revisit this as we go through this particular podcast. But uh, yeah, not not a great show, um, and I think they'll be both glad to uh, not have to deal with this again for a for a while. Uh, Richard Masters had the look on his face that I have when I say to Ali, "I will be taking the bins out." I'm not prepared to specify when those bins will be taken out, but they will be taken out. And But also, he put it into context, literally like me saying, I know number 12 and number 17 are having trouble with their bins, so I, I, we should... Because he, he actually added on, that he said, I know Everton and Nottingham Forest fans will be frustrated at the delay. 
So again, as we will discuss, so much of this week is about timing, isn't it? And that, that leads us on to, I was going to say it leads us nicely onto the Everton story, but it leads us on to the Everton story, Kieran. And rather than just ask you about the Everton story and, and go away for 20 minutes, I'll, I'll sort of try and lead you in with, with a few questions just to make it to make it easier. And the, the, the first one, Kieran, seems to be, um, about the overlap, essentially. Um, Everton themselves are saying, well, this doesn't seem fair. But what that reflects is that most of us don't fully understand the idea of a rolling three-year period over which, and I include myself in that, over which. So those people are saying, well, it's unfair that we're being charged again because some of this period was included in the last charge. But that's not how it works, is it? Because it's it's not a three-year set period and it's all done and, and you start again. It's 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 this concept of rolling, isn't it? It is. So Everton were given a 10-point deduction before Christmas in respect of the three-year assessment period, which ended on the 30th of June 2022. They then had to submit their accounts for 22-23. By the 31st of December, they they did that. They they met the requirement. And the Premier League were then given 14 days in which to assess those. And the Premier League have now issued fresh charges. Now, Everton fans have have said, and this is perfectly understandable, hold on, we've already been given a 10-point deduction for season 2021 and 21-22. And now they're going to form the basis for um, season 22-23 as well. And surely that's not appropriate. That's not fair. And and some fairly big hitters, uh, including the uh, former Bank of England governor, Mark Carney, uh, Andy Burnham, who's been on this show, Steve Rotherham, who's the, the mayor of Liverpool and so on. Um, they've said this doesn't look great. And, and you can... You can understand that. And and there's a case for saying, shouldn't we be resetting the clock? And you know, my personal view, I think it, that, that does have some credence. Um, and they wouldn't be resetting the clock at £105 million. You say, well, £105 million over three years, it's the equivalent of a £35 million loss in one year. So tell you what, Everton... You've been charged up to the end of 2022. We're now going to start the clock again at the 1st of July, 22-23. So it it is possible to game the system by if if clubs are unscrupulous, but there's no evidence. Everton clearly, from from any, I think, sane observer's perspective, have been trying to cut back on expenditure. They're not cutting it back to zero, and I don't think it's fair that it should be cut back to zero either. So um, that's the position that we're in with evidence. They've got fresh charges, but at the same time, they've got an appeal against the 10-point deduction. So how on earth can the Premier League appoint a commission to look at season's 21, 22, 22, 23, and 2021, 20, 20, 20, um, if potentially Everton are going to have a repeal or a reduction in the original 10-point penalty. So it does show 
just how muddled this is. Um, so they come up with a, a very robust defence, um, including, quoting, and I, and I kid you not, a respected academic who hosts a, a twice-a-week football finance podcast with well-known comedy writer and comedian Kevin Day. Um, so, um, because I'd I'd done some sums and said, yeah, this this 105 million pounds over three years, this was set in 2013. You know, this, this is completely ignoring index linking as you'd have for practically everything else. And if you had index linked from a football inflation point of view, we'd be looking at a, a maximum loss of 218 million. So it all started. It all got you know, very emotional, and and that's on the Everton side. Um, so you can you can you can understand why Everton fans and Everton as a football club say, "Well, hold on, you know, we realise we overspent, we've we've slammed the brakes on, and now you're you're giving us grief again." And of course, you, you therefore they therefore say, "And uh, Manchester City, September twenty twenty five, is that what you're saying?" Yeah. So, so uh, you know, Richard Masters again was was very much on the back foot with regards to that. Um, so that was one set of charges, and then of course we come to Nottingham Forest, who were also given charges. Um, my understanding is that Forest have admitted that they overspent from a from an FFP point of view, but I think part of their defence will be. Everton have been given 105 million pounds that they can lose. Manchester City can lose 105 million because we've because it was our first season in the Premier League. We're only allowed to lose 61 million. How, how on earth is that fair? Um, so you know, there's there, there's a lot, and I believe they they have asked uh, Nick DeMarco to to look into things on, on their behalf. And, and you know, we know Nick well, and if, if any person can put together a, a robust defence, it's him. We'll come back to Forrest in a moment, Kieran, if you may, because there's still a couple of things to unpack in the Everton thing. Um, as our good friend Julian said, the producer of our live shows, the, the respected academic sounds like a Weatherspoons in Cambridge. <laughs> and I should also point out, <clears throat> despite your kind words, the Everton defence didn't quote well-known comedian and writer Kevin Day because quite rightly they didn't ask me to help in that defence uh, and who can blame them. But it was um, it was very quick, it was very robust, it was very dense um, in terms of the, the technicalities of, of, of their defence, Kieran, wasn't it? And, but I think I'm going to come back again to this word timing because it just seems to beg a belief that it had nothing to do with the fact that there was that Richard Masters was about to appear before Parliament the very next day and tell Parliament that we didn't need an independent regulator. And also, as you alluded, it, it strikes me, and no one else has mentioned this, surely while the appeal hearing is still going on, surely it's prejudicial, is it not, to charge them with further, you know, if, if I'm, yeah, I, I might well be a very clever lawyer or accountant on the three-man panel that's hearing the appeal, but if I'm suddenly told that Everton have been charged with further things, that puts into your mind the fact that, well, they haven't learned their lesson. So it, it, it seems to me that from a purely legal basis, it was wrong to announce this until the appeal has actually been heard. I, I think that's got a lot of logic to it. And again, um, 
Everton, you, you can understand why why they feel so aggrieved. I, I think in terms of the the length of, of the defence, um, I can't go into too much detail, but my understanding was that they had been given a heads up, that the charges were going to be announced. So I think the, the charges were announced around about 4pm UK time. Um, and um, you know, I was summoned by a few TV slots and so on to to, to chip in, uh, and, and you know we we've always said that our stance is that we try to be objective, um, but here you you can't but help feel that Everton have been given a bit bit of a raw deal, um, a in respect of timing, um, b they can evidence that for want of a better phrase. They've learnt their lesson, and in terms of overspending, um, to a certain extent, that overspending was at the behest of the previous regime. They were also saying that they were confident of getting a two hundred million pounds naming rights deal via Alicia Usmanov, and we can park personal views of Alicia Usmanov and his uh, and his friends uh, elsewhere because you know that that's. That, that's nothing to do with the financial side of things. Um, so, yeah, very messy indeed. We do try to be objective, Kieran, as far as possible, which is why I fully understand why Everton fans are, are furious about this, about the timing of it, about, uh, and I understand why they would take it personally. But I think we should also reflect the views of the fans of many other clubs, and those fans have been making those views um, open, the, what is the point of having these rules? Every, every CEO, every financial director, every club in the Premier League knows what the rules are. What is the point of having these rules if a club then is baffled by the fact that these rules are being implemented? Because as far as we know, the majority of clubs in the Premier League are staying within these rules and have done in the past and may have been relegated because of it. So I think we, sh- I think we should reflect the fact that other clubs are going, well, hang on, they've been caught bang to rights and I, I, I think as well there is an element of both Forrest, as you hinted, and Everton, thinking that if this had been two years ago, it would have been a slap on the wrist. It would have been maybe a financial uh, a fine. For, that was a very clumsy way of putting that. But um, but now in the context of uh, independent regulator, etc., the, the Premier League are making an example of them. So they're, they're actually baffled that the rules are being implemented. But nevertheless... Those rules are there for a reason. They may well be changed, but at the moment, those are the rules. And fans of other clubs are saying, well, if, if we did it, we'd be punished as well. So why, why are Everton expecting to get off? That, that's right. And yeah, Everton were not relegated last season. Um, the argument put forward by the fans of other clubs and also some of the critics say, well, hold on, Everton went out and they sold, they, sorry, they bought Neil Mopay and they bought Dwight McNeil. And these players, Neil Mopay didn't contribute, but uh, Dwight McNeil had a, had a superb second half of the season under uh, under Sean Dyche and so on. Um, would they have been able to do so had they not uh, been you know, fully docked uh, in terms of their ability to buy buy players? And but surely, you know, surely the Premier League, because we we know that other clubs who have been running close to the wire. Um, have effectively gone to. Uh, I, know, I know this has happened in the EFL and said, "This is this, this is what we're planning to buy. Do you think that's okay?" And the EFL will say, "Well, 
on the basis of what you've given us to date, we're not giving you a definitive answer. But yeah, we, we think you're probably okay. And, and certainly when, when you take a look at the points deduction for Birmingham City, um, this was when the EFL have said, we really do think you shouldn't do that. And Birmingham City said, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, and, and therefore, they, 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 they were bound to rights. Um, if you're a fan of some of the clubs that have been relegated in, in respect of the last two seasons, um, the, the vast majority of whom are, are actually enjoying life in the championship uh, because they're seeing their side win so often, but we'll, we'll park that as a separate issue. Um, you, you can understand why they feel aggrieved. And you know, we, we've had all of this conversation and we, we've not mentioned at all the fact that there could be separate um, litigation issues from those clubs that have been relegated in, in respect of what they perceive to be Everton breaching the rules, potentially, you know, once again, they're Nottingham Forest as well. Uh, one last point on Everton, Kieran. <clears throat> well, for now, because we've got another Everton story coming up in a moment, but <laughs> we have to go via Nottingham Forest because it's only fair to their fans to give as much attention to that story as well. Uh, presumably, the next independent hearing about the latest um, charges won't take place until after the appeal. If the appeal upholds the original 10-point deduction um, and the next independent panel finds that Everton have continued to breach FFP rules, what what is the likely outcome? I, you know, football fans like suddenly out of nowhere, people are banding 25 points about as a, as a potential deduction. But what what would you say is the likely outcome of the the worst double whammy that Everton can have, which is they fail the appeal and then they, they are found guilty by the next panel? Well, again, if we go back to the comments made by Richard Masters at the DCMS committee hearing, um, it would be a points deduction rather than a financial sanction. Uh, he was, I think he was fairly clear on that. My my personal view is, first of all, innocent until proven otherwise. Yeah, that's the whole you know, tenant of law, and that, and that should be the case. Um, secondly, I think if you set a precedent, sorry, a precedent of having a financial penalty, then those clubs who have owners, for what who for want of a better phrase, money is no object. You know, they they can spend as much money as they want. Um, they will say, "Well, we will just see that as a cost of doing business, and therefore we are prepared to take the fines." And you will start to see, um, you know, wages and transfer fees taking another acceleration at some clubs for you know where the owners are not under any form of financial duress or, or, or limit. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, 
or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. The forest story, Kieran, uh, on the face of it, seems a bit more straightforward. And again, as is the way of football fans, suddenly this this rumour went round social media um, the day after the charges with with Forest fans and journalists saying, well, actually, Forest were only one player over. Like if they bought one player fewer, or one player less, whatever it, whatever works in those circumstances, then they wouldn't have been charged, which seems a bit odd. But most of us who aren't football finance experts, Kieran, would have seen the amount of money they spent when they got promoted to the Premier League and thought to ourselves, well, that looks like a problem in in future for them. Yes. Um, looking at the forest issue, they have effectively come clean and said, yes, we were over the limit. Um, but their defence is going to revolve around the, the viewpoint that if they had sold Brennan Johnson on the 30th of June, the best that they could expect to get is a sale for £30 million. By delaying it until the end of the window, they were able to extract £45 million from that transaction. And therefore, isn't it a bit daft that we have this relatively arbitrary sort of cut-off period of the 30th of June, which is in the middle of the transfer window, Going back to Everton, Everton said, well, yeah, we, we sold Richarlison for £60 million. We think if we'd waited until the end of the window, we'd have potentially have got £80 million for him uh, because sides would have been desperate and therefore we would have been within the limit as far as financial fair play is concerned. So everybody is is looking at the overall issue and identifying flaws in the rules that have been um, set and approved by the clubs themselves, um, you know, financial fair play or profitability and sustainability, these are all the ideas of the clubs and the club owners, uh, and very much driven by by the owners, by those owners who who are fed up of losing tens of millions of pounds a year in respect of a football club in, in what's supposed to be the most lucrative competition as far as football is concerned on the planet. So I, th- I think this is showing the the shortfalls of financial fair play as we have it at present. Um, UEFA have changed the rules that the assessment period is going to be from the 1st of January to the 31st of December. So it's be based on a calendar year and therefore it doesn't straddle um, a transfer window. And you can see some merit in that. Um, equally, as somebody that can manipulate numbers, I'm seeing scope for manipulation of numbers with regards to that, but that's a separate issue. <clears throat> Again, arbitrary or not, Kieran, that 30th of June deadline was was set by the Premier League, and everyone in the Premier League knew it existed. So, in in the same way that I I don't fully understand the handball laws in in football, <clears throat> but I can't blame the referees for implementing them. 
the, you know, the, the Premier League, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, so I'm not a fan of the Premier League and the way they've behaved, but they're implementing rules that everyone knew existed and that they set in the first place. So I, I don't see how that's an argument. I don't see how you can say, well, if only, if only that was a different date or, you know, my aunt was my uncle, then I don't, I don't see that, that as an argument at all, to be honest, Kieran. Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely to cut much mustard <clears throat> as far as the commission is concerned because they will say you've got your financial year end at the 30th of June, Nottingham Forest. You've had player sales before and you've never tried to accelerate them into a previous accounting year. So why are you just doing it now? Um, so... The, the accounting rule is, is quite clear, that if you are negotiating the sale of an asset and the only thing which is outstanding is the price, then you can potentially accelerate it. But Nottingham Forest then went and played Brennan Johnson for the first few matches in the Premier League in August. And they're saying, oh, yeah, but it was actually sold on 30th of June, so yeah, we, just, we just backdate it. Um, I, I think they're going to struggle with that argument, uh, if they had not played Johnson, if they said, you know, we're, we're trying to find an appropriate club and we're trying, then I think their argument might have a bit more credibility. As it is, to me, it looks weak. Mm. Um, <clears throat> back to Everton, Kieran, and their potential new owner, 777. There are some issues, new issues arising for them. But before you talk about that, Perhaps we could just talk about how this week's events may have an impact on their uh, potential takeover of Everton, which we are now told could be 15, 16 weeks away from being ratified. Well, again, this was um, Richard Masters. He was put on the spot. He was he was asked specific questions with regard to Everton and once again, his his answer was vague. Now, I've, I do have some sympathy there because the Premier League have asked 777 partners for evidence to, to back up the what I think are the key elements of the uh, takeover plan. Um, A, do you have enough money to fund this? And B, where's that money coming from? And this is where sort of Josh Wander starts to wander and he starts to wander off um, <laughs> in the sense that he's not giving straight answers or 777 partners are not giving straight answers to the Premier League. And again, from the Premier League's point of view, it, it doesn't want to be seen to be giving a thumbs up in respect of this deal and then for the whole system to crash down because that will further reduce the Premier League's viewpoint that an independent regulator is uh, an overbearing piece of bureaucracy which is going to constrain the game. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's where we are. So it, it could take some time. He also said, and I, th I think uh, in fairness to him, that if all the information is given to us, we, we can ratify a takeover very quickly. Look what happened, you know, in respect of Bournemouth. You know, look, uh, uh, you know, Jim Ratcliffe has said that he hopes to be in situ in early February, and his deal was 
effectively approved at board level at Manchester United on the 24th of December. So it's indicative that it can take six or seven weeks, whereas in the case of 777 partners, there are so many entrails, there are so many loose ends to this that it looks messy. And and I'm speaking as somebody that had a bit of an involvement in um, Robert Maxwell's companies when they went bust. And that was like trying to do a Rubik's Cube with the light switched off. You know, there were so many different companies um, owing money to one another, um, transacting with one another, and trying to get, trying to work out the money trail. And remember, we didn't have the internet in those days, was uh, a bit of a challenge. I was very proud of the look. I taught myself to adopt Kieran when people uh, showed me their ability to do a Rubik's Cube very quickly. It was a look of haughty disdain. The, the same look I'll give to jugglers, Kieran, really, because I <laughs> never understood never understood the appeal of Rubik's Cubes or why anybody would waste their time trying to do them. But still, there's, there's another lawsuit that 777 are facing this week. But again, a question many people are asking is, is is the the new potential points deduction likely to affect their willingness to still want to take over Everton or indeed to negotiate a lower price? Um, I think 777 still seem to be fully on board with the potential takeover of Everton. Um, We are now starting to hear one or two rumblings that there could be alternative partners or sorry alternative takeover sources um but i think one of the things they'll be concerned is well do we want to take over a club which owes uh, 777 partners 140 million quid so it's actually acting as a as a deterrent um in respect of the the lawsuits and the issues we're we're owed uh, a great deal of favor first of all to our very good friend matt slater at the athletic um, he's identified uh, a potential litigation from an organisation called Charge Lending, which I, th- I think is sort of acts on behalf of social entities. It put £17 million pounds into 777 um, with the proviso, you know, we're, a, we're an above-board organisation, we expect you to behave in a similar professional way, and therefore, we want to see the audited accounts. And those audited accounts have not been produced. Um, they have chased Josh Wander, who uh, I think the phrase has strung them along, uh, appears to be the reaction. And therefore, they're going to be potentially trying to get their money back. Um, they've also asked 777, uh, and perhaps they should be on a conference call here with Richard Masters, about... Seven, seven, where, where, where are you getting the rest of your funding from? Because we don't seem to be able to make it out. So, so there's that. And then there's another organisation called uh, Josimar, which is sort of an investigative uh, journalist platform. Um, and there's a guy called Philippa Clare, who often will appear on The Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, and he's been looking at this. And it looks like 777 here. They've borrowed some more money from... Again, trying to work out exactly where and whether this money has been properly secured is uncertain. But they they borrowed money at fifty two and a half percent interest. 
and you go, Jesus, you know, that's that's twice credit card rates. Why are people lending at that rate? And you know, we we, we joke around with you know my uncle Terry and so on, and you know there are you know we we know from our upbringings in South London that people lent money at quite exorbitant interest rates. It's because the banks wouldn't touch them. You know, wouldn't touch wouldn't touch the borrowers, and the money tended to be lent on a relatively short period of time. So yes, it might have worked out as you know a hundred and something percent a year, but over the course of you know the six weeks of the loan, it, it didn't seem too bad at the time. Um, well, this is again a short term loan, but why isn't seven 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 going to what you might call more well known sources? It's because those well-known sources presumably won't lend to 777. So if they're having to borrow at 52.5% and then that money is at some point in time ending up at Everton or God knows where else, um, that money is going to have to be repaid with the interest and none of 777's uh, football clubs appear to be making money. Um, Bonds or Airways isn't looking too healthy either. So it just makes you feel extremely uncomfortable uh, in terms of having them as a potential owner of, you know, I, I, I work in the city, city of Liverpool, a proud institution of the city. Mm. And Kieran, much as we love the idea of Bonser Airlines, where, where do they fit in to this story? Um, I think 777 own airlines, they, of which I think Bonser is one of them. Oh, Okay. Or, or, yeah, or, but they also owe money to a, an aircraft leasing company, and it just gets very, very messy. Oh, I've gone off Bonza now. I love Bonza. Um, it's with a heavy heart, Kieran, that we turn to the story of Reading. I was already on the side of Reading fans, but now they've got the hump with Simon Jordan. Um, I'm doubly on the side of Reading fans after his crass comments this week about their protest on Saturday. Um also, Reading fans have got the hunt with Sky, who were rather dismissive uh, of their protests on Saturday. But they caused the game to be abandoned. And there's now been a significant development in the story, Kieran, with the, basically the EFL giving him what seems to be an ultimatum. Yes. I, I must confess, I was a bit disappointed with Sky as well. It was, it was an ongoing issue. Um, Speaking as somebody who in 1996 was involved in a pitch invasion, which had a match abandoned at the Goldstone ground in Brighton. And we had, we felt that there was no alternative and Reading fans and, you know, as, as Reading fans say that, you know, their, their local Derby is the Waitrose Derby. And it's, they are, you know, I've been on quite a few Reading podcasts. I've been speaking to Radio Berkshire on a few occasions. Um, they're they're not being awkward. They're not trying to cause trouble. They're trying to preserve the football club that they love. Um, so the match was abandoned. Um, you've got to give huge credit to the fans of Port Vale who had travelled down to watch 16 minutes of football, who applauded the Reading fans. Um, you know, they, they, they understand the severity and they've had challenges themselves with one of their former owners. And again, hats off to the Reading fans. Um, there's, I think, uh, Port Vale fans are trying to get a statue of John Rudge and Reading fans are contributing to that as a sign of solidarity and appreciation 
of the way that Port Vale fans have behaved. So where does this leave the EFL? Well, the EFL is in an impossible position. Um, It doesn't have the money itself to pay this month's wages. So therefore, it is said, in an ideal world, Dai Yonga wouldn't be the owner. And in fact, that was the case put forward by the EFL to the most recent commission, um, which which came to the conclusion that Dai Yonga should be fined £20,000. He's now been given a further £50,000 fine. Is he going to pay that? Well, we don't know. What's going to happen to the proceeds of that fine? We don't know. And all that the EFL can do, because it, it doesn't have governmental power, it can't appoint administrators, it, it can't do anything really under its present constitution, is that it can urge Dai Yonga to sell. And some people are saying, well, you know, can't somehow the the football club be, be forced to go into administration? My my reservations there are twofold. First of all, a firm of accountants will only do an administration if they know that there's enough funding to pay their wages and their costs. And we've seen, you know, in respect of Wigan and Reading, just how much those costs can be. Um, so, and in the case of, of Derby County, Mel Morris, who you know, I think Mel Morris is entitled to a fair amount of criticism from Derby fans and others, it looks as if he effectively funded the costs of the administration himself because he didn't want the club to go bust. I'm not sure that Dai Yonga wants that. Um, and there's a further complication in that Dai Yonga has transferred the stadium to another company, which is owned by himself. So you put the football club into administration, but not its biggest asset in the form of its real estate. And you know he's he's sitting pretty on a piece of property. Um, so what's his viewpoint? Well, we're getting nothing. You know, is it, is he unwilling to fund the club? Has he lost interest or is he unable due to pressure put him on him, pressure put on him in respect of his assets, which he holds in the, uh, in China? Mm. It's, it's as many fans have pointed out, Kieran, not just of Reading, laudable though it is for the EFL essentially to say over the weekend to Dai Yong, either give us proof that you can pay players going into the next six months of the season or sell the club, the EFL got no powers to make him do either, have they? No. If, if, he, if, he, if he refuses to do both, then the EFL are left looking slightly foolish, uh, albeit we appreciate what they're trying to do. Yes, I mean, the sentiment is there and, you know, we... We talk to the EFL. We've got a good working relationship with them. And, and this, isn't, this isn't, you know, we're not giving them a, an easy ride there. It's very similar to the position with the with their negotiations with the Premier League. The Premier League hold all the cards. Well, in the case of Reading Football Club, like it or not, Dai Yonga has ignored polite requests from both the EFL and fans. He's ignored slightly more uh, angst from the fans in the terms of you know, throwing tennis balls onto the ground. And I suspect he will choose to ignore this because he's probably sitting at, at present in one of his mentions in, in, of which he owns dotted around the world. Um, and the, the existence and the, uh, the stresses that, ever, that 
Reading football fans are going through going through are an irrelevance to him. Mm. And just as a footnote to this story, Kieran, compare and contrast uh, the response of Sky during the game on Saturday and the response of ITV when they were showing the Eastleigh versus Reading second round FA Cup match when Reading fans again demonstrated, interrupted the game, when the ITV commentators and pundits uh, gave us the context of the demonstration and were inordinately sympathetic to that demonstration, even though it was uh, interrupting their own coverage, which I thought was far better journalism than Sky showed on Saturday. There's some very unhappy noises coming out of Newcastle at the moment, Kieran. And, And let's start the conversation with the news that they've been losing a lot of money. Yes, they have. Yes, Newcastle published their accounts um, in in the last week or so. Um, And for 22-23, they were losing £200,000 a day. So that's that's £70 million um, in the year. Um, They lost a similar amount of money in 21-22. So fans will be saying, fans of other clubs will be saying, hold on, 70 plus 70 is 140. Um, Haven't they broken financial fair play um well we we know that some costs are excluded we've also got issues in respect of covid and yeah we said this from day one of the takeover um mike ashley actually left a a positive ffp situation in in his last couple of seasons so the new owners have been able to make utilization of that um newcastle fans are unhappy they're saying we've got owners who can put in limitless amounts of funds into the club they can invest as much as they want we feel that this is an art that the financial fair play rules are an artificial constraint um some of them have been suggesting that well you know can can they take this through the courts to which i think the answer would be no given that newcastle signed up to the profitability, sustainability rules themselves and voted in favour when they were introduced. So I think that will prove to be difficult. Um, they they are they were funded in 22-23 to the tune of £179 million in the form of loans and shares from the owners. Um, so, you know, the fans want the club to be able to spend more. They're saying, well, hold on, we're not spending as much money as Chelsea. We're not spending as much money as some of the other clubs in the big six. Why is that? And it's because financial fair play is not the same as having a level playing field. And I think people were fooled when the rules were introduced that the word fair would mean that you know clubs at the start of the season have a, a fair chance of winning the Premier League. Well, the system was always gamed um, in favour of those clubs at the very top of the Premier League um, as, as a means of if there is a financial gap, these rules will ensure that that gap will be um, reinforced over the course of time. I mean, there are some Stoke City fans, Kieran, that have been making the same point for, for several seasons, that they are owned by people who could buy and sell the Premier League and yet they're not allowed to... to... Uh, to spend the money they have on getting Stoke back into the Premier League. I, I don't know whether these statements are coincidental, Kieran, in terms of the timing, but we've we've seen representatives, and you always get slightly wary when it's representatives of the owners saying that 
FFP is holding them back. I think the word the project is being held back. You've had Eddie Howe complaining that clubs are refusing to loan Newcastle United players because they, they're holding out for, for big value transfer deals. We've had journalists, both local and national, saying it's it's really unfair on Newcastle United that Man City were able to bring Kevin De Bruyne on with the last you know, 20 minutes of that game when Newcastle were tiring. So it, it seems to me, Kieran, that the owners of Newcastle are gearing themselves up for some kind of existential attack on the whole notion of FFP as a whole. Well, we are going to see a change in uh, the cost control rules, probably from next season. Again, this was one of the uh, revelations from Richard Masters uh, in front of the committee, and it will be moving to a situation which is likely to be similar to that of UEFA in respect of having a wage cap, which is a percentage of revenue. Um, that, again, reinforces existing gaps because if you're, if you, if you're generating £700 million a year, that means you can spend £420 million on wages. If you're just new to the Premier League and you're, you're on £120 million, that means you can only spend £84. Um, so how can you move forwards? Um, it becomes a, a very gradual, if not impossible, exercise because the qualification for the Champions League is so lucrative that how do you break into that group of clubs? Well, the rules are designed to prevent that. You know, and let's let's be perfectly blunt about that. Financial fair play was always there to prevent another Manchester City or another Chelsea arising. And the reason why I say that, because it was based on an artificial construct of profit. And as somebody that comes from a, an insolvency background, profit, schmoffit, you know, I, I can manipulate profits as, as and when I see fit. Businesses go bust due to a lack of cash. So you know, if, if the new owners of, of Newcastle yeah, you know, and, and what I would do personally, I would say, if you want to put money into a club above a certain limit for every pound you put into the club, you put that you put a, another pound into a similar fund, and that gets distributed between the other clubs in the Premier League, and it effectively acts as a super tax, or we have to put two pounds into that fund, whatever it's going to be, and, and that way you you still retain some form of competitive balance within the competition itself. On a related note, Kieran, as we've discussed recently, the latest Premier League broadcasting deal was whoa, really eye-openingly huge. And and you'd think, you know, if, if if I owned one of the biggest clubs in the Premier League, I, I might think to myself, Do you know, I've probably got enough money now. I, I'm, this this mattress of mine is my nose is touching the ceiling here. I need to take some of the money away from this mattress. But it, it seems not, Kieran. It seems that despite being loaded. Some of the big six Premier League clubs feel they could be more loaded. Yes. Um, and of all of the issues that I think that Rick Parry and Richard Masters were clearly not in agreement with, this is the biggest one, the Premier League TV deal. Um, it is broadly in line with the current deal. And people are saying that that's not, that is actually very good. If you take a look at what's happened in Germany, if you take a look at what's happening in Italy and Spain and elsewhere, the value of the deals have gone down. So I think the Premier League have negotiated a pretty good deal. Um, the Premier League have also agreed to give more money to the clubs in the EFL. Um, and this is where the big six have fallen out. Yeah, th This is where they're saying, well, we were hoping for a lot more money to be generated from the TV deal. Um, and it's not 
And on the back of that, we think that any money given to clubs in the EFL um, should be split evenly. And we're not happy about that. Um, so the the other clubs, and, and I think, yeah, we, we've said this, you know, Steve Parrish of Palace is probably the shop steward of the other 14 clubs. And he's saying, well, hold on, you know, the on a percentage basis, we're having to give up um, far more. So we don't see why we should have to give up an equal share. And, and you know, my gut reaction is, is, is I'm, I think that's logical. Um, so so we're, we're fine in respect of that. But the, the Premier League clubs have a shareholders meeting in February and um, they're going to discuss once again how that money is going to be divided. Um, but as one of the MPs said to Richard Masters, None of the clubs have got an incentive to agree a deal, have they? Because the Premier League was supposed to give £88 million to the clubs in the EFL at the start of the season. Um, by the time it got to December, they said, well, you've survived until December. We'll reduce that to 44. It's now going to be February at the earliest. And what's going to happen is that the clubs in the EFL are going to get nothing because it's there's no incentive for clubs in the Premier League to come to such a deal. Now, I know we've, you know, and again, we're not, we're not, yeah, this has been quite a serious show. We've always brought up the issue of the independent regulator. If there was an independent regulator, they could force through that agreement. But it doesn't exist yet. As yet, I do think it's further evidence that the intransigence, which is being shown by the Premier League clubs, and you know, people people think of the Premier League as being a single organisation. It's not. It's twenty warring parties, in exactly the same way that you know Chrysler and General Motors and Fords. They're not big buddies. It's it's exactly the same in football. You know, they are they are competing organisations. Um, and none of them want to give up any money. They just want to have more. We've talked way more about the Premier League than we normally do in this pod, Kieran. So I think we should we should end the pod with a couple of stories that are in the, the real world, if you prefer. And the, the first one looks like, and I... I hate to say this, Kieran, because I've said this before about other clubs, but it looks like it could be good news for West Brom. Um, I think things are looking better than they were, and I think uh, West Brom are in a, in a stronger position in terms of a potential sale than we presently have at Reading. Uh, again, Matt Slate has done a fantastic job. He's done a very good summary of where we are um, in respect of West Brom. Um, there's three potential bidders, one of which which appears to be the favourite, um, and then you go, well, this is sort of two steps forward and one step back. Um, it involves a guy called Chris Farnell. Um, talk to Charlton fans, I believe, about Chris Farnell. Um, they don't have the greatest of praise of him. Um, he's certainly been involved. He's, he's a lawyer based, I think, in Altering and Manchester way. Um, he's also involved with a company called Warmfront Holdings, which has lent money to West Bromwich Albion at 5% interest a month. Um, and they're a, they're a local heating company, from what I can make out. Uh, but at, at least they're interested. 
Uh, there's an Armenian company or Armenian uh, investor who's, I think it's called Noah Investments, multi-club model. They're interested in a third party as well. So Gauchan Lai does appear to be interested in listening to uh, serious offers and the fact that he's having some form of communication has to be a positive. Um, the downside of that is not all of these bidders would be ones who I'd necessarily want owning my football club. Uh, yeah, sorry, Ken, I got slightly distracted there by uh, Smudge attention-seeking and rolling onto her back, wanting her tummy tickled. Um, uh, for new listeners, I should point out that Smudge is a cat. Uh, but there's another name um, thrown into the mix, Sheelan Patel, who seems to be uh, in advanced talks as well with West Brom. Yep, yep. So that, that's the that is the third party, right? Okay. Um, again, not a lot is known. You know, like everybody else, you go onto LinkedIn, you go onto Google, try to get a bit of a background. Um, West West Brom's an attractive proposition. So, you know, at, at least. I think we've got a, a, a good chance of finding an, a new owner. I think we've got a good chance of finding an owner for for Reading. It's it's the yeah. getting the old owners to see sense that is the challenge. Uh, and in terms of seeing sense, I mean, what would you consider a fair price for West Brom? Uh, how much of a I, I'm looking forward to saying this because you seem to enjoy. It. How much of a haircut would Gauch and I be prepared to take? Do you think would he be prepared to lose money to to offload the club? I think if it was. In, in its present form, you know, it's, it's playing good football, good chance of getting into the playoffs. Um, I think he could quite confidently get the thick end of a hundred million. I think he's probably oh, wow. asking for more. Why? Wow. Um, because you know, Bournemouth were bought having just got into the Premier League, I think for 115, 120 million. Um, there is a, clearly a bit of a gamble involved where West Brom are presently in the Championship. But this is this is no disrespect to to Bournemouth. West Brom have got a bigger fan base. They've got a bigger stadium. Um, you know, they they've got some some positives going for them, um, which are slightly more complicated from from a Bournemouth point of view. Mm. The highest stadium in the in the football league, as my uh, late lamented father-in-law used to tell me on a regular basis. How much did Gauch and Lai pay for this club in the first place, Kieran? Do we know? I think he paid about twice that. Well over two hundred mil. Oh wow! Okay, but right. I think he, so that, I think he got his trousers taken down. Yeah, that that would be a significant loss, wouldn't it? Um, our penultimate story, Kieran, takes us to Scunthorpe. Um, we've used the word scandalous in the past about some of the news coming out of Scunthorpe United. Kieran, this this story that's emerged, I think, is the most scandalous of all. I'm I'm genuinely outraged by this this particular story. Yeah. Um... I'm outraged, but not surprised, given the behaviour of the previous owner. This is in respect of uh, Callum Roberts. Callum Roberts, I think they signed him from Aberdeen. Um, so he's, he's come down to Scunthorpe. He's playing as a winger. Um, got injured during a match. You know, it's it's part and parcel of football. We, we, we know. You, know, you, you mentioned. Kevin De Bruyne earlier, who who's come back, and uh, you know, fair play to Newcastle fans. Even they said we've never seen a player make a difference in twenty minutes the way that he did yeah, against oh, us. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. 
you know, that 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 ball for yeah, you know, this isn't a football show. That ball for Oscar Bob was it was it was amazing, but um, but he he has been injured, and Manchester City have been paying his wages, and Manchester City have been paying for all of his medical fees because he's he's an elite athlete and, and so on, um, and that's always been the case as far as football clubs are concerned. Well, Callum Roberts had to go and pay for his own medical fees in respect of an ankle operation because David Hilton, who was the previous owner, um, and a book could be written about this, um, and perhaps one day one a book will be written about this. Uh, yeah, the, the previous owner had a habit of not being as gregarious and not being as invested in Scunthorpe United Football Club as he initially claimed to be. Um, and I think there's a lot of very unhappy people. But this is from a football point of view. It's it's tawdry. It's it's despicable. You know, you employ these lads on contracts. The least you can do is if they get injured working on your behalf uh, at the club, then you you pay the fees. I, it's such a shame this is not a football podcast because all five goals in that Newcastle Man City game. I mean, the rest of the, the rest of the Premier League need to give up on the goal of the month tournament now because as much as they had a goal of the match time. I mean, the, the Bruyne, the, his goal, the way he gave the keeper the eyes and then passed it on the other side of his right foot was just incredible. That, as you say, I mean, Oscar Bob is my my new favourite Premier League name. But I was watching the highlights with Ed and it's just like both of us purring. It's just that ball was just phenomenal. The sort of ball you'd never see at Sellers Park unless we're playing Man City and Kevin De Bruyne does it. Um, our last story, Kieran, is only here because to the best of my knowledge, we've never mentioned this club before, this Swiss club. And it's a club with a name that's fascinated me for as long as I've known about football. Um, I didn't play Subutio, Kieran, but I used to ask people to buy me Subutio teams because I love the kits and of course I had Grasshoppers of Zurich and um, this is the first time we've talked about them Kieran and I'm hoping uh, a la West Brom that this is good news for Grasshoppers fans um well they have <laughs> been bought oh damn <laughs> um they, they, they've been bought for one Swiss franc oh well so um substantially less than um what we've seen in, in respect of, uh, yeah, we've just been talking about West Bromwich Albion. So, you know, this, but we also know that Berry were bought for a pound and I'm old enough to remember Brighton Hove Albion being bought for 56 pounds, 25 pence and Scunthorpe, who we've just been talking about, they were bought for three pounds um, earlier this year. So, um yeah, it's it's a club which has got a financial distress. Um, they've been bought by uh, an American institution, Los Angeles FC. So we've got another multi-club owner model. And it does show that uh, football clubs can be bought and sold and traded. But if you bought for a pound, you're probably inheriting an awful lot of liabilities as well. Yeah. It's almost a shame you didn't say it was bought buy one Swiss franc because I like the idea of, <laughs> I like the idea of a Swiss franc a more Uncle Terry version of Swiss Tony like Swiss Tony but with a sledgehammer um, well we'll keep an eye on that story Kieran just because I love the name Grasshopper Zurich thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page 
If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod and get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes, that'd be very kind of you. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of We'll be back on Monday with our usual questions pod, but also with some of those outstanding news stories that we didn't get to today. If you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can also find details on the website priceoffootball.com. And don't forget, there is still time to vote for the Price of Football in this year's Sports Podcast Awards. We have to win one of these eventually, Kieran, surely. (laughs) Tell me I didn't put that new mantelpiece up for no reason. Uh, We've been nominated for the Best Sports Business Podcast, and you can search for Sport Podcast Awards to cast your vote now. We'll also put a link in the show notes. As I say, we'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, I will hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, I, I'd like to, uh, I'd just like to bring to people's attention, um, again, it, it, it's it's something which we've non-stop touched upon, uh, the the appearance of Messrs, Masters and Parry. Um, and we've, we've got the final words spoken by um, Dame, oh, forgot, let me just find her name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> by, by the, there's nothing like a dame, and there's nothing like a dame whose name I've managed to lose. Um, but the, the, the head of the DCMS panel said, um, if this was a Portsmouth game, and she's the MP for Gosport, so therefore she's used to, she's fairly close. If this was a Portsmouth game that I was at and you two were refereeing, we'd at, be at the point where the fans sing, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so on that cheery note, um, because let's face it, we don't know what we're doing most of the time. Yeah. And that's why we need producer guy to corral us together. Uh, we wish everybody a good few days and we'll be speaking to you again on Monday. We will. And hopefully one of those news stories will be Jose Mourinho taking over as manager of Crystal Palace. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the